We interrupt your regularly scheduled program for a special announcement. The United States is headed for an entitlement crisis. Social Security and Medicare are going broke. You are going to have to pay the bill. You are going to have to pay the bill. Welcome to the Debt Dialogues, where you'll learn about the coming entitlement crisis, how it affects you, and what you can do about it. Debt Dialogues. Here's your host, Ayn Rand Institute Fellow, Don Watkins. The biggest driver of America's welfare state crisis is Medicare, the program in which young Americans pay for the health insurance of older Americans. To give us a primer on this issue, I invited one of the leading commentators on Medicare to join us. John C. Goodman is president and CEO of the National Center for Policy Analysis. He is widely known as the father of health savings accounts, and Modern Healthcare named him as one of four people who have most influenced the modern healthcare system. I want to apologize in advance for the background noise in this podcast. This was actually recorded live at the Association for Private Enterprise Education Conference in Las Vegas, and we unfortunately couldn't find a totally quiet area in the hotel. But I don't think it's too bad, and there's a lot of great content here, so let's get started. All right, so I'm here live in Las Vegas with John Goodman to talk about Medicare. John, let's dive right in. What is Medicare? Well, Medicare is a social welfare program. Uh, We pay taxes during our working years, and then when we reach the age of 65, we're entitled to health care benefits. It's run pretty much like a Ponzi scheme, just as Social Security. In other words, the taxes that we pay are not put aside and invested uh, to pay for our care when we retire. Instead, those taxes are immediately spent the very minute, the very day, the very hour they come in the door. So when we reach the age of retirement and we want our health care benefits to be paid for, we have to find a new group of taxpayers to pay for. Now, I think a lot of people are under the assumption that you pay into Medicare during the course of your working years, and then you basically get a bunch of free health care once you're older. Can you talk a little bit just about what actually happens once you turn 65, let's say, and start accepting Medicare? Well, when you turn 65, there are various parts of Medicare. There's Part A that covers hospitalization. You're automatically put into that. And then there's a Part B that you have to pay a premium for, and that covers physicians. Then there's a Part uh, D, which covers drugs. And then we have a a number of private insurers. People don't realize the extent to which Medicare has, in a sense, been privatized. But more than one out of every four seniors is in a private health insurance plan. And for younger seniors, it's 40%. Now, why was Medicare created? Well, the argument was that uh, seniors needed health insurance. They couldn't afford it. They couldn't afford their medical care. Actually, there's very little evidence that before 1965, uh, seniors weren't getting the care they needed. And in fact, when uh, an MIT researcher looked carefully at the medical records, uh, she discovered that after Medicare, there was hardly any change at all in the health status of seniors. Uh, the main difference that happened once we got Medicare is government spent more taxpayer dollars. And after Medicare and Medicaid were adopted, Medicare for the seniors, Medicaid for the poor, uh, the government intervened in the healthcare market in a huge way. And ever since that happened, we've had uh, healthcare overall growing at twice the rate of growth of our income. So let's talk about that because I think that's, I mean, really a crucial issue going forward. What? were people, Americans told that the program was going to cost roughly, and what has been the trajectory since it was created in 1965? Well, they way underestimated uh, by a factor of 10 what Medicare was going to cost. Uh, we, we now know that um, 
when you have a government or an employer or insurance company paying the bills and people can basically consume care without much personal cost to themselves, uh, that health care grows faster than income. In fact, in this country for the last 40 years, and it's been true around the world, in the developed world at least, uh, health care spending has been growing at twice the rate of growth of our income, which means with each passing year, health care is crowding out more and more other consumption. Uh, if we continue on the path we're on, uh, by the time uh, today's teenagers reach retirement age, there'll be nothing to consume but health care, and that, of course, would be an impossibility. So let's break that down, because there's really two elements of the cost of Medicare. One is the cost of the program itself, but then there's another cost that you're kind of hinting at, which is the effect it has on overall health care costs in the economy. Can you talk about both of those a little bit? Well, of course, Medicare itself is very expensive. It costs uh, more than half a trillion dollars uh, a year. Uh, and on top of that, it affects all the rest of us who aren't in Medicare, because uh, essentially Medicare determines what every doctor in the whole country is going to be paid and what services they're going to be paid for. And all the private insurers tend to, to uh, piggyback on that payment system. So the way Medicare pays is the same way Blue Cross pays. And that's the same way that employers pay and other insurance companies. So Medicare has a huge influence on the way the whole healthcare system functions. What... Um one of the arguments, though, for Medicare, at least that we hear today, is that there would be no market for senior health insurance if it weren't for Medicare, that the, the private insurers wouldn't have an incentive to cover people who are going to use so much health care. Well, again, we have one out of every four seniors that's in a private health care program. Now, granted, the government is making uh, a substantial share of those premium payments, uh, but there would be nothing to prevent people from saving during their working years and making those payments privately. In fact, we believe that uh, what we're going to have to do is go to a private health care system with each generation saving for its own retirement medical needs. And uh, it will essentially require about 4% per year put in, uh, put in the bank uh, and growing, invested in the capital market. And if each generation does that, we can move to a funded system which each generation pays its own way instead of hoping that future taxpayers will pay for their medical benefits. So, um, yeah, I want to talk more about solutions, but to get clear on the problem, what do the finances of Medicare look like going forward, um, say, over the next 20 years? Well, the finances uh, of Medicare going forward are horrible. Uh, and we got to have to go beyond uh, uh, 20 years because um, we have roughly 40, 45 years of working life and then another 20 or 30 years of retirement. So if you want to analyze the program and how it affects each of us, especially young people, you have to look way, way out through time. And, and basically the unfunded liability in Medicare, uh, what they promise minus what they're expected to take in, is something on the order of $100 uh, uh, billion at today's prices. So that's uh, five or six times the size of the whole economy. A hundred trillion, you mean? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, what did I say, billion? Uh, One hundred trillion dollars. Okay, so that's five or six times the, uh, the size of the entire economy. It's a huge debt. Now, Obamacare, uh, and it's written into the Obamacare law, has put a cap on Medicare. And if we stick with it, then Medicare will grow just a little bit faster than the rate of growth of our national income. 
If that happens, the unfunded liability is only about $43 trillion. So that's the rosy scenario. Uh, that's, that's the plus side. Uh, but in order to do that, we're going to have to pay doctors under Medicare and hospitals much less than what the private sector is paying. And that difference will grow through time. And we'll have a two-tiered medical system. And seniors will be like today's poor people. They will find that in order to get care, they have to go to community health centers, to the emergency rooms and safety net hospitals, because regular doctors aren't going to see them. So what have been the effects of Medicare on the provision of health care? So not just the cost, but the actual quality and, and nature of health care that we get. Well, the way Medicare pays doctors is by task, and this is a terrible way to pay any professional. And by that I mean that they have a list of 15,000 uh, tasks that the physicians perform, and they have a price for each one of them. The price varies depending on where the physician uh, is, is practicing. So there are about six billion prices that Medicare is setting at any one time. Now, whenever you pay a professional by task, you're always going to leave some tasks off the list, no matter how carefully you, you think about it. And in Medicare's case, it left the telephone off the list. So Medicare doesn't pay doctors to talk to you on the phone. And that's the reason why it's so difficult to get a doctor to, to talk to you on the phone. Um, and again, as I said earlier, the private sector piggybacks on Medicare. So how Medicare pays is the same way Blue Cross pays and employers pay. Also not on Medicare's list is email. So everybody else you know, every other professional, uh, the lawyers, the accountants, the architects, they'll email you. But your doctor doesn't, uh, doesn't email you or at least ha doesn't email you um, uh, with any uh, important medical advice because that's something else that Medicare doesn't pay for. Social work. Um, enormous amounts uh, can be saved. Uh, simply by getting people to change the way they live their lives. We have people with lots of different uh, illnesses, um, uh, comorbidities they're called. Uh, if you get them to change their lifestyle, you can cut way down your health care costs. But, but essentially, Medicare doesn't pay for that. And so some of the most effective things we could do to bring down health care costs, Medicare won't pay for. You've mentioned a couple times that the private sector has piggybacked or imitated uh, the way that Medicare is run. Why is that? Well, Medicare is, is huge. Mer Medicare is the uh, elephant in the room. And so the private sector could go invent another 15,000 categories, uh, have different prices. But it's so much easier to walk in and say, look, we want to pay Medicare plus uh, 20%. <laughs> and the hospital may say, well, we want 30%. So you negotiate over what percent you're going to differ from Medicare and that's so much easier than going through 15,000 line items that uh, the private sector has just done it. And something else people need to realize is that we have so suppressed the real market in healthcare that, that when we're talking about private sector medicine, it's almost as bureaucratic as the government. So there, there isn't that much difference in Blue Cross and Medicare. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're both almost equally bureaucratic and uh, they're both creations of a, of, of a largely suppressed healthcare marketplace. What are, let's say, the main, most popular proposed solutions out there? And let's start with the ones that you would disagree with and then uh, end with what you think should be done to deal with the problems that we're facing under Medicare. Well, on the one hand, you have people on the left who want a single-payer system. And what they typically mean by single-payer is they want to put everybody into Medicare. 
Uh, in fact, uh, you see Paul Krugman writing about this all the time in the New York Times. He said we wouldn't be having all the problems with Obamacare if we just put everybody into Medicare. Well, in fact, there's not a single problem that would go away if we tried to put everybody into Medicare because um, we have to decide if you want to join Medicare, what premium you're going to pay and uh, what kind of subsidy you're going to get, if any. So we have the same problem that we have now. Uh, we have to decide whether there's going to be a mandate. Are we going to let you remain outside the system when you're healthy and then go in after you get sick? Are we going to require you to join when you're healthy? What about the employers? They're now spending on health care. Are we going to require them to contribute something? Uh, then we get into the whole issue of the employer mandate. So there's no problem that would go away simply by running everything through Medicare. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, about a fourth of seniors are in private plans. Well, how do they get there? Well, they get there through a Medicare exchange. So Medicare has an exchange, just like Obamacare has an exchange. Um, so that's uh, the, the kind of let's grow the system and maintain the system. What do you think should be done? You've talked a little bit about it, but um, what is a more free market stuff? Well, let's talk first about one more idea that comes from the left. Sure. And that is that we can solve all our problems through price controls. And that's essentially what Obamacare does. Obamacare is half paid for by reducing payments to doctors and hospitals under Medicare. In fact, for the next 10 years, Obamacare takes about $715 billion dollars out of uh, out of Medicare just by paying doctors and hospitals less. But what's going to happen is that uh, seniors won't be able to see doctors. The waiting times will grow, just like Canada. So more and more uh, seniors will turn to concierge doctors. A concierge doctor is a doctor who gives you same day or next day service, but you pay more. Uh, they talk to you on the phone. They do email you. They're your agent and assistant. Uh, right now, it costs about two thousand, some places twenty five hundred dollars to have um, a concierge doctor, and seniors can afford it. We'll we'll pay that amount of money. The problem is, every time a normal doctor becomes a concierge doctor, he was seeing let's say twenty five hundred patients. As a concierge doctor, he can only see five hundred, so he leaves two thousand behind. What happens to the 2,000? Their problem just got worse. So the more seniors try to deal with the problem of rationing, the worse it's going to become for everybody who doesn't have the money. Okay, so um, what then do you think we should do? We want to liberate Medicare in the short run. We want to allow seniors to walk into a walk-in clinic and pay the market price. Uh, walk into a freestanding emergency care unit and pay the market price, and that price will be lower than what Medicare would have paid at the emergency room or, or, at, or at a doctor's office. Uh, we want uh, Medicare to experiment with allowing doctors to balance the bill and charge a, a free market price for health care. Let's try it with a small number of doctors. Let's see if seniors are willing to pay more, so if they wait less and they get better care. Uh, and we want to do other things uh, that uh, will allow the market to set prices and determine what kind of services people get. And then for the long run, we've got to get away from the Ponzi scheme. We've got to get away from this idea that uh, uh, we're going to spend all the money we collect and hope that in the future we can collect taxes from, from unborn uh, future taxpayers. So each generation needs to pay its own way. Uh, we believe that a 4% contribution put in a savings account every year, 4% of the salary, uh, is enough to uh, uh, pay for future health care and keep the role of government uh, no larger than it is today. Now, how would you phase something like that in? Because presumably there's people right now who don't, you know, they're already on Medicare uh, who would need 
continued care? Well, for the working age population, you put 4% in a savings account. And uh, let's say I'm 64 years old, next year I'm going to be on, on Medicare. So I didn't really save very much, uh, but, but I use my amount that I have saved, and government tops me up and pays the rest. But for someone who's 20 years old, his savings will pay almost all the premium uh, that will be needed when he reaches the retirement age, and so he won't need government at all. So it, it phases in. The more you save, the less uh, the role for government. So I want to ask a, a, a couple of things about the context of health care. So we're talking about Medicare and, and the, the cost that people are paying for their health care. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about that. Basically, one of the stories that was told in the run-up to Obamacare is, in effect, that we had basically free market, and that what that has led to is rising prices, and people can't get the health, they can't afford the health care that they need, the health insurance that they need, and so any proposal that uh, refers to trying to rein in or put controls on Medicare um, are seen in the light of well, people won't be able to afford their care. Um, you've written extensively about how, in fact, we've not had a free market and that this has been the very reason that health care has been so expensive. Can you just briefly indicate what the connection is between the government intervening in the markets and the problems that we've seen in health care going back uh, decades now? Well, we have, over the last century, completely suppressed the marketplace in health care. And that's why none of us ever really sees a real price for anything. No patient, no doctor, no employer, no employee. And, and, and believe it or not, it was the American Medical Association that was most responsible for this. And going way back into the 19th century, they got uh, occupational licensing, keeping nurses and other people from practicing uh, medicine, and, uh, and greatly limited what they could do. Uh, and then they went after the medical schools, and then they went after the hospitals, and then they went after health insurance. And by the time they got through, uh, we didn't have a market for anything. Uh, Blue Cross was created uh, by the hospitals. Blue Shield was created by the doctors and created to pay bills. So, so the entire market is dominated by bureaucratic institutions. And these institutions are hospitals, insurance companies, and government. And so we've obliterated the real distinction between public and private. As I said earlier, there isn't much difference than the way Blue Cross operates and the way Medicare operates. And in fact, in most places, Blue Cross is operating Medicare. So, so we've obliterated that distinction. Um, we need to liberate the marketplace. So we don't really need to do anything other than give people opportunities. And we will discover that entrepreneurs all over the country are, are ready to provide us with better care at a lower cost if we'll just let them do it. So I want to wrap up by asking, you know, it's most young people are kind of oblivious, I, I think, or they're not well informed about Medicare, but more broadly, they view, they tend to view the government as needing to have a bigger role in health care. Um, how do you think, or what do you think, why do you think that they are inclined to uh, accept a larger role for the government, and what do you think can be done to change their minds? I think people don't understand that we don't have and never and haven't had for many, many decades anything like a private market for medical care or, or for health insurance. People like to think there's a huge difference between the United States and Canada. There really isn't. We're about 80% just like Canada. Uh, in Canada, when you go to a doctor, it's free. In the United States, you go to the doctor, it's almost free. Every time we spend a dollar at the doctor's office, only 10 cents is coming out of our own pocket. The other 90 cents is paid for by a bureaucracy, employer, insurance company, or government. 
Uh, and we mainly in the United States pay for care the way they pay for it in Canada. We pay for time, pay for it with time and not with money. So we wait for our care. We wait at the doctor's office, we wait at the hospital, we wait, wait everywhere, just like the Canadians. The only difference is they wait a little bit longer. <laughs> Uh, and in both countries, what is needed is to free the marketplace, uh, to allow entrepreneurs to lower costs and improve quality the way they do in every other market. And um, we know how this can work because there are a lot of healthcare markets where the third-party payers are not. Cosmetic surgery, LASIK surgery, these are fields where people are paying with their own money. And we've seen the real price come down substantially. We've seen quality improvements, all kinds of changes that are consumer friendly. So wherever we look, uh, in any healthcare market where Blue Cross isn't, where Medicare isn't, uh, we find markets that work well. There's an international market for medical tourism. There's a domestic market for medical tourism. Canadians come down here and pay half what we pay for a knee replacement or a hip replacement because there's a market for that. But they have to pay cash or with a credit card up front. <laughs> Uh, is there's no third-party payer there. But when we free the patient and we free the provider, um, uh, the, the, the entrepreneurs have an incredible ability to lower costs or raise quality. My guest today has been John Goodman. John, thank you for being part of the Debt Dialogues. Thanks again to John for that great interview. Um, the issue we didn't really get into in that interview was the morality of Medicare. And I think a precondition for having a view of the morality of Medicare was getting clear on just what it was and how it's talked about and debated today. But if you're thinking about the morality of Medicare, there's at least two questions that you have to address. And the first is, do people have a right to unearned health care? And if you think about what Medicare is, again, it was just a transfer of wealth from workers to the elderly funneling them into a government health insurance scheme. Now, as we've talked about in other podcasts, no, I don't think there's any justification for depriving people of something that they earn in order to provide others with unearned health care rights. But there's a second question that also comes up, and that's, does the government have the right to force you to pursue health care in the way it thinks is right? For instance, does it have the right to say you have to set aside 4% to pay for your own health care needs in the future? Now, I don't think the government has a right to do that either. You have to be free to make the assessment of how should I spend my money and how should I prepare for all of my needs in the context of my own life. Will some people make irrational decisions and not set aside money for health care in old age? Yeah, obviously people will. But that does not give the government the right to force rational and responsible people into schemes that it regards as good. And that's why I think I have to part ways with John in terms of what I think a uh, proper solution to Medicare is. Um, I think that morally, we have to become Medicare abolitionists, that we have to recognize that how you plan your life and how you take care of yourself, including make your medical decisions and healthcare decisions, that is yours to make. You have the right to decide how to spend your money, what kind of contracts to enter into, how much to save, and what ways to save. Uh, and if you make a mistake and you can't afford health care that you need when you're old, then you have the freedom then to ask others for help and ask them for assistance. Um, but Medicare, which is funneling us, as, funneling us all into this one-size-fits-all government system, is fundamentally immoral. It's immoral for the government to get involved in health care and for it to dictate how we plan our own lives and then to force us to take care of the lives of others. With that, it's time to bring this podcast to a close. 
To learn more, you can visit endthedebtdraft.com. And for the latest, I encourage you to like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash debtdraft, and let the world know that it's time to put an end to entitlement exploitation. See you next time. Debt Dialogues is property of the Ayn Rand Institute. Its content is intended for private use only. 